I'd ask if you could please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we um, look at the passage for this morning. And uh, again, we're I'm focusing on one commandment at a, at a time. So uh, this morning is just Exodus 20, 15, but, but I'll read all of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, or your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You should not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is heaven, in heaven above or is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of our Lord. Would you please be seated? Let's pray again together. Our Lord and our God, as we approach your holy word this morning, in your holy word we see that you are holy. And in your holy word we see your holy moral law. And Lord, as we see this, we realize that we are not holy. Lord, that in the, in this, in the fullest sense of, of what is required, we break all of your commandments all the time. And yet, Lord, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we praise you for the redeeming work of the gospel that, that we have turned from our sin. Lord, that we have new life in Christ, that we have the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit working in us, the, the sanctification to which we've been predestined is taking place incrementally, day by day. And yet, Lord, we realize that there will be people here who are, are not regenerated who are not born again, who are still dead in their trespasses and sins. And Lord, I pray that as I proclaim your word this morning, you would help us all to see that the answer is Christ. The answer is always Christ. Help us, Lord, to turn from our sin and turn to Christ. 
Lord, whether this is true for someone who is, has never yet come to saving faith or, or for someone who has been serving you as a Christian for many years, Lord, help us to see the, the full implications what is required of us, and Lord, help us to walk in repentance and faith, to grow in obedience for the glory of your name. Amen. At 7.52 a.m. on September 15th, 2015, a call came in to the Fox Lake, Illinois, police dispatch. Lieutenant Charles G.I. Joe Glinowitz radioed that he was in pursuit of three suspects outside an abandoned cement factory. He requested backup and officers rushed to the scene, but they were too late. They discovered Glinowitz's lifeless body with two bullet wounds and no suspects in sight. A manhunt involving hundreds of police ensued but yielded nothing. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Glinowitz was given a state funeral with thousands attending, including the governor and law enforcement officials from all over the country. Flags flew at half-mast all over the state, and Glinowitz was called a hero. It was a tragic death. It was a grievous violation of the Sixth Commandment, you shall not kill. But this wasn't murder. Weeks later, it came to light that this was suicide, that Glinowitz had staged the whole thing, making it look like murder. But this isn't a sermon about the Sixth Commandment. This is a sermon about the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Theft is what motivated this officer, this police officer, to take his own life. He'd been embezzling funds from a local charity close to $10,000 over the past several years. And text messages from him to, to as of yet undisclosed recipient revealed that a city administrator had begun to suspect something. That he was worried that he was going to get caught. And so the fear and shame of being found out as a thief drove him to take his own life. He had used the stolen money for, among other things, his mortgage, a holiday in Hawaii, and to fund his addiction to pornography. Once thought to be a hero, Glinowitz will now be remembered only as a liar and a thief. A number of years ago, when I had just moved into the manse, I'd gone over to my parents' house and, and spend the night, and Monday was my, my day off, and, and when I came home, as soon as I, I walked through the front door, I knew that something was wrong, that the house was in disarray. Well, that part wasn't new. It was a, it was a construction site with, with major renovations going on. But, but you know that creepy feeling when something just isn't right? Well, I went around the corner to discover that the door from the garage was wide open, that the, the jam had been splintered. It had been kicked in. Someone had broken in. And so I quickly went through the house trying to discover what was missing. They'd been all through the house. They, they looked in closets. The, the doors, drawers of my nightstand were, were tipped out. Now, they, they didn't get very much apart from my mountain bike and the mountain bike that belonged to my housemate and a couple of, of game, game consoles that didn't get really anything. 
The saddest thing for me, though, was that they had stolen a titanium Leatherman multi-tool that my brother had given me for my 40th birthday. It, it wouldn't have been worth a, a whole lot to a thief to, to pawn it, but it meant a lot to me. So as I, as I grappled with this, I, I, was, I struggled with, with not only the, the creepy feeling that someone had been in my house, but with a sense of injustice, the sense of violation. What if you can relate to that? Maybe, maybe your house hasn't been broken into, but, but maybe you've had something, someone steal something from you. It feels awful, doesn't it? Again, not only is there, there that sense of, of unease, of, of danger, but there's that sense of injustice, of, of, of some person having wronged you. And often you won't ever find out who it was. But the person who broke into my house that night was not ultimately sinning against me. Officer Glinowitz wasn't ultimately sinning against the citizens of Fox Lake. Yes, there is a horizontal element to stealing. Thieves are certainly sinning against people. But theft is ultimately against God. The, the worst part about, about thievery is the vertical element, that it is ultimately committed against God. Theft is ultimately sin against God. Theft in any form is breaking God's moral law. Now, I know we would all agree with that. But ever, as we're going to see once again this morning, the sin is worse than you might think. Not only is the horizontal sin first than it, worse than first appears, but the, the vertical sin is also worse than first appears. And once again, and you know this is coming, you are a thief too. I am a thief too. When we consider what the Eighth Commandment entails, we'll find out that we're all thieves before the Holy God. And again, when one commandment is broken, it leads to the breaking of many others. And the whole time, the First Commandment is being broken. One sin leads to more sin, and all sin is ultimately against God. You and I were born as children of Adam. Adam stole the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and people have been stealing ever since. Children do not need to be taught how to steal. Who stole the cookie from the cookie jar, goes the children's song. Who, me? Yes, you. You stole the cookie from the cookie jar. And that cookie reveals a heart full of of thievery. But it doesn't, it doesn't stop there. First it's the cookies, then it's the cash. Remember, people aren't sinners because they steal. They steal because they are sinners. The fall explains why you have locks on your doors, why you have a, an alarm system on your car. It explains why banks have safes. It explains a big part of Tom's and James's job. Once again, in this commandment, we see that there is both a sin forbidden and there is a duty required. The command forbids unlawfully taking or damaging anyone else's possessions. However, the commandment also requires 
good stewardship of possessions. Listen to Hercules Collins' Orthodox Catechism, question 127. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? Answer, he forbids not only outright theft and robbery, punishable by law, but in God's sight, theft also includes cheating and swindling our neighbor by schemes made to appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interest, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, he forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. That's the negative part of the command. In the positive, in 128, what does God require of you in this commandment? Answer, that I do whatever I can do for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may share with those who are in need. So then the eighth commandment is about stealing, and it's about stewardship. So first, let's talk about what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment. Now, perhaps it's best to think about this from the perspective of, of the victim of theft and then of, as the beneficiaries of stewardship. So first of all, who are we not supposed to steal from? And then who should benefit from our stewardship? So first of all, you shall not steal from your neighbor. Now, I'm quite confident that I don't need to convince anyone here that sneaking into someone's home and, and, and taking their diamonds or, or any of their possessions is wrong. Nor would I have to convince anyone here that robbing someone under the threat of violence is wrong or, or shoplifting or fraud or embezzlement. But stealing from your neighbor doesn't involve just those flagrant kinds of theft. The Eighth Commandment extends to the workplace. An employee must put in an honest day's work, and an employer must pay a fair wage. The sluggard in Proverbs 24 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. And so a sluggard steals from himself. But even more, a sluggard steals from his employer. And similarly, it goes the other way as well. That, that in James 5, the, the, the employer is, is warned against robbing his employees. And here it's the rich who prosper at the expense of the workers. James 5, 4. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So it goes both ways. The, both the, in, the employee and the employer must be fair and honest in their dealing, lest they be breaking the Eighth Commandment. It extends also to the marketplace. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And so the, the butcher and the green grocer must have fair scales. And I don't think my bathroom scales are fair, but that's another story. Don't steal in commerce. In commerce. A, a modern application would be selling your car to someone else without telling them what's wrong with it. Remember the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew 7, 12. The Eighth Commandment also extends to gambling. You might not think about it this way, but, but gambling is actually another form of stealing. Well, first of all, gambling is horrible stewardship. It, it's essentially throwing away money. 
house always wins. But even if you do somehow win, you aren't taking money from the house. You're taking money from the guy who lost before you. And the fact that we have, have legalized gambling in this, in this province, is, it's, it's, a, it's, it's essentially a, a stupidity tax. Because everybody who goes to the casino, they think they're going to win. But very, very few people ever actually win. The Eighth Commandment also extends to simple borrowing. If you borrow something from someone, look after it even better than you would your own property. And, and, if, if it, and then when you're finished with it, return it promptly. Now, I know it's easy to forget when you borrowed somebody, something from someone. Maybe it's a good idea to write it down. And by the way, if, if I have borrowed something from you, if, if I have something of yours that I need to return, please let me know after the service. But it also extends to academia. Plagiarism is the theft of, of another person's words or their ideas. It's, it's easy. Just give credit to your sources. I know it's a temptation that, that, that students have to, to steal other people's thoughts and words and present them as their own. That's, that's theft. Eighth commandment extends to entertainment. Video and music piracy is stealing. I was convicted earlier this week as, as I streamed part of an NHL game. Now, I, I'd looked, up, looked this up previously and, and learned that, that streaming itself is not illegal so long as you don't download any part of what you're watching. And so I justified saying, well, I'm not, I'm not breaking the law. I'm, I'm not downloading anything. I'm just simply streaming it. But I, I double-checked and discovered that the person hosting the stream is actually breaking copyright law. So it's kind of like stealing, receiving stolen property. I'm not the one doing the stealing, but I'm actually receiving stolen goods. And so I am guilty of breaking the 10th commandment. Just because something is legal, according to the, the, the laws of the state, does not mean it is legal according to God's moral law. And I, I turned the game off. Now, it might be easy to, to justify this sort of thing but you're actually, when, when, you, when you take some, somebody else's property, even if it's downloading a, a movie or a, a CD or something like that, you are actually stealing. You're taking money out of the pocket of another person. So then are you, are you somehow, are you in any way stealing from your neighbor? Next, you shall not steal from the government. Romans 13, 1-7, we're, we're told here that we're to submit to the governing authorities. We, we talked about that in the, in the fifth commandment. And part of that involves paying taxes. Verse 7 says, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed. In Luke chapter 20, the, the scribes and the, and the chief priests sought to entrap Jesus by bringing him into conflict with the Roman authorities by asking him, verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, Jesus knew full well what they're trying to do, so he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. And so he said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. 
Let's think about this for a moment. If Jesus told the religious authorities that they were to pay taxes to the Romans, then certainly we must pay taxes to our own government. Now, now we have legitimate concerns over the use of our tax dollars in, in, this, in this country, not just for the sake of a, a lack of wisdom, but for immorality. It, it sickens me as much as it does you that, that our tax dollars are being used for abortions. Now you can do something about that. You could pray. You can, you can write a, a letter to your member of parliament about, about these things. But that does, not ex, that does not exclude you from paying taxes. The Roman government was far more wicked than our own. So are you stealing from your government in any way at all? Well, now we're going to get down to the, the heart of the matter. You shall not steal from God. Well, you might say you'd, you'd never rob another person, but do you rob God? Now, we need to think first here about an issue that, that I haven't taught much on before, that of tithing. Now, I really don't know much about that side of things in the church. I deliberately stay out of that. I don't know who gives how much, but I, I do know that we have a generous church. And so, to a large extent, I'm, I'm really preaching to the choir. The only ever, other time I've ever taught on this was a few years ago when I was, I was preaching through Malachi. I'd encourage you to, uh, to turn there, please, with me in your Bible. It's the, the last, last book of the Old Testament to Malachi. And in Malachi, you could, what was happening is the, there has been, a, this is about 100 years after the return of the Jewish exiles back to the promised land. And the, the people had, had rebuilt the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah. But there was still some serious problems that, that God had with the people. And, and so the book of Malachi takes the form of, of six indictments that the Lord is bringing against his people. And two of those six have to do with, with directly robbing God. So the first is, is that in, uh, in chapter 1, verses 6 to 2, 9, that the priests have broken the covenant by robbing God in their offerings, that, that they were bringing sick and lame animals to their sacrifices. Now again, this is part of the, this is part of the ceremonial law, this, this idea of, of priests bringing, bringing sacrifices. We, we don't do that anymore. But, but what does that point to? What, what moral aspect of, of God's law is, is, is pointed to in those, in those offerings and in the priest's involvement in that? Now, now we don't have a, the, the office of the priest doesn't exist anymore. You and I are, are all priests unto God and Jesus Christ is our great high priest. But, but if you are, are giving to God in, in your sacrifices, in, in every sense of, of what that means, that not only just in your giving, but, but of yourself, are you giving to God the least part? Are you just giving to, to God the, the least of these things? Are you looking at, at, at Sunday worship saying, well, this is just something we do on the, the last day of the week? Remember, Sunday is not the last day of the week. It is the first day of the week. It is the first day of the week and is to be, to be set apart for, for God. And so when you think about, about, we'll talk a bit more about this in a moment, but, but are you robbing God in your sacrifices? And it's, it's tied also to your, to your finances. In the, the fifth dispute in chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. Just turn with me to, uh, to Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. 
Verse 8, sorry, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but, but you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. And so when, when the people were not giving of their, their tithes to the Lord, they were robbing God. Now the word tithe simply comes from the Old Testament word for tenth. The people were to give the first tenth of their income to the Lord as a, as a starting place. And of course at that time, it, it was mostly in the form of, of crops and, and livestock. But that first tenth was again to be set aside and given to the Lord. We, we see this principle in the New Testament as well. As, as on the first day of the week, the people gathered together and gave back to God some of what they had been given. But tithing is not just part of the civil or the ceremonial law. Tithing is, is, is tied to the moral law as well. In Matthew 23, 23, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So notice that Jesus is not condemning them for their obedience in tithing, but the fact that it was only external obedience, and that because it was only external, they neglected the most important parts of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. The Pharisees were scrupulous in their tithing, but not in their love. And as usual, the New Testament principle, the Old Testament principle is expanded and expounded in the New Testament. It's ultimately a matter of the heart. 2 Corinthians 9.7 Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But nowhere in the scriptures, in the Old and the New Testament, is the tithing principle relaxed. Rather, it is developed. 10% is a starting place. It's a starting place. And so the, if... If you are reluctant, if you're chafing against even 10%, then you're really revealing that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Matthew 6, 21. Your treasure is a matter of your heart. But treasure isn't just money. Treasure is whatever is important to you. It's those things that compete for your attention, even good things like family and career. And so don't rob God by loving those things more than him. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We talked about this in, under the first commandment, that, that, that when you when you love the things that you have received from God because they have come to you from God, they don't actually diminish in value, that they are increased in value, that they gain their, their, their ultimate significance not in the enjoyment that you receive from them, but the fact that you have received those things from the hand of the loving and sovereign God. But there's another treasure, the treasure that has been purchased for you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. 
So I think it's fitting here for, for me to ask you, are you robbing God by withholding the gospel from others? By taking this, this treasure that you've received and keeping it to yourself, by not proclaiming it to others. Again, as I said to the kids, the, 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 the treasures of the gospel are the greatest treasures you have. And if you love God and love other people, you can't help but sharing that treasure with other people for the glory of God. So we must not rob God in our treasure, but we also must not rob God in our time, in our talents, and in our thoughts. Are you robbing God with your time? Again, are, are you setting aside the time that God has allotted for worship? Are you seeking to obey the fourth commandment? Think about the things that you generally do on, on a Sunday. Not talking about the, the things that, that absolutely have to be done, but are the things that you are choosing to do, are they robbing you of worship of God? And if they are, then they are robbing God of the worship that is due his name. Are you preparing your heart on Saturday for Lord's Day worship? Are you spending time intentionally praying for yourself and for your family and for your church as we gather together on the first day of the week? Are you making sure that you're getting a good night's sleep on Saturday night? But, but, but robbing God of, of, of time does not just take place on Sunday. It takes place every day. Are you setting aside time in daily prayer and Bible reading? Are you giving God the best part of your day? And what about your talents? Has God given you, rather God has given you, particularly, particular abilities that are to be used for his glory and for the advance, the advance of his kingdom? God has placed you in this church at this particular time for particular purposes. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, a lot of people in this church are serving in a lot of different ways. But are you withholding yourself? Are you withholding the talents that God has given you? If so, you are not just robbing the church, but you are robbing God. Or I wonder if you are robbing God by using the talents that he has given you just for selfish ambition. You, you've been given particular aptitudes that, that enable you to, to even to, to make money in, in, in the, the public square, the public sphere. So, but are you robbing God by just using those abilities and those talents for selfish ambition? Or are you robbing God by not using them at all? Are you burying your talent? And so it's not just your treasure, it's not just your time, it's not just your talents, but your thoughts. Your thoughts. Are your thoughts consumed with the worship of God? A moment ago, I mentioned robbing God with your time. But it's not just Sunday, and it's, it's not just set times of the day. Are you focused on God throughout the day? Are your thoughts filled with God and his glory throughout the day? And are your thoughts about God biblical? If your thoughts are not consumed with biblical thoughts about God, you are robbing God of the worship that he deserves. And this one, perhaps more than any other, convicts me. 
It's easy for me to, to, to go through the day and I'm ashamed to say this, even sometimes in preparing for sermons, it's, it's the mechanics of it rather than worshiping God in the process of it. Now, if I can do that in the preparation of a sermon, I'm sure the same is, is true for you in, in secular employments. Wouldn't you love to have your thoughts to be filled with God and his glory? Now, one day, we, we look forward to that day when, when we, were, we have, have no more sin to tempt us and, and no more worldly distractions to get in the way and, and, and no, more, no more enemy who's seeking to, to destroy us. And we're able, we're free then to be able to worship God in the fullness. But may God work in our hearts and enable us to, to grow in, in being consumed with love for Him and worship for Him every waking moment. We rob God of the glory that is due his name. Trevin Wax says that we rob God of time and talent when we invest in lesser things. We rob him of praise that is due his name and the worship he deserves. We rob God of our priorities and our passions. Are you investing your time, talent, treasure, and thoughts in the secular and the profane? Are you investing in the things of, that are of no eternal significance or even worse, things that are actually opposed to God and His glory? All theft is a sin against God's character. When someone steals from someone else, they're denying God's character as loving, wise, and sovereign. And theft is therefore a denial of God's providence. It's saying that, that whatever that thing that we, that we took should have belonged to us instead of the other person that God gave it to in his providence. And so theft is then a denial of God's governance. Yoshim Duma explains that if it all belongs to him and he has disseminated possessions according to his wise and sovereign will, who are we to seek to redistribute things according to our foolish and sinful will? Again, we, we think about that in in the bigger ways, but think about that in every way. With your treasure, your time, your talents, and your thoughts. The reality is you own nothing. You own nothing. You came into this life with a body and you leave with less. Everything you have in this life really belongs to God. It's all a stewardship. God owns it all, and anything that you have has been given to you from God to care for, and that only for a season. Friends, God owns everything. He is the Lord of all. The earth is full of the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Proverbs 24, 1. And then so under that, let's, let's, let's quickly consider the, the positive aspect of this command. Everything that you have, everything is a stewardship from God to be used for His glory and for the advance of His kingdom. Now we've already seen that you, you shall not steal from your neighbor and you shall not steal from the government. And when we're, we're we steal anyway, we're stealing from God. 
And some would say that, that by not caring for your possessions, you're actually stealing from yourself. Well, well, in one sense, that's true. But since all that you have is a stewardship, once again, it's ultimately stealing from God. When you understand that your treasure, time, talents, and thoughts are a stewardship from God, you will treat them very differently. You will be wise in the spending of your money. You're not going to waste it, but not for the sake of your own wealth, but for the sake of others, out of rendering to God the good return on his investment in you. You will care for your possessions, your car, your home, and your property, knowing that they are a stewardship from God. When, when you are careful with your, your oil changes and putting air in your tires, you are glorifying God as, as seeking to, to be a good steward of that car that he has provided you with. Even the way that you look after your, your property is a testimony to your neighbors for the glory of God. Unlike the sluggard of Proverbs 24, 30 and 31, I passed by the field of the sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. When we were in Mozambique, Nate pointed out to us that, that, that in that culture, that, that having a bare property is, is actually seen as good stewardship. It's actually virtuous to have a completely brown property, not a, not a, a blade of grass, not a, not a speck, uh, uh, not a plant on it. That's because it, it takes more work. To actually, to, it's, it, you, if a lazy person is going to have a, a property that's overgrown with, with all kinds of green things and weeds. It's interesting that when, when you go to, to, to the Shane's house and the way that they look after their house, they have, have sought to develop that property. To, to maximize the, the, the fruitfulness of that property by, by planting things, even by, by planting coffee. And, sh and showing the people that what, what stewardship can look like. And so in caring for their property, they're, they're actually giving a testimony to their neighbors of, of, of what it means to, to worship God as a good and wise steward. So when you understand that everything that you have comes to you from God, caring for it so that, that you can use it for others and, and for the betterment of others and for the glory of God, it changes your attitude towards these things. You're even going to look after your body, knowing that it is a stewardship from God. You won't just want to stay healthy so that you're going to look good, but so that you can better serve God. I want to do a better job of staying healthy because I want to be better able to serve God. The healthier that I am, the more energy I have to be able to, to be used of God. I don't want to drop dead of a heart attack at the age of 55. I won't be able to, to give God back the body he gave me in as good a condition as I received it. But I do have a, a responsibility and can do my part to look after it for his glory. We also think about the stewardship that we have in the workplace. Working is a stewardship from God. The, the commandments that are given to stewards in the New Testament uh, apply to, um, to servants in the New Testament also apply to employees in, in our culture this, who are to render service with a good will to the Lord and not to, as to the Lord, not to man. Ephesians 6, 7. 
and employers are under the same command. Paul said that they are to do the same thing because God is both their master and yours and he shows no partiality. Ephesians 6, 9. And, and so working hard enables you not only to, not just to, to build up your own kingdom, but to help to provide for others who are in need. Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And when you take on this perspective of work, it elevates work. It elevates it beyond the mundane. Because you're seeing now, now I can participate in God's work through my work. Likewise, employers are to, to see their opportunities as a stewardship, not only to be able to, to give to others, but also to be able to provide opportunities for others to give to others. So then when, when people have this attitude, both employees and employers are, are seeking to shine the light of the gospel in the workplace, whatever context they find themselves in. Likewise, in the marketplace, buying and selling, again, is seen as an opportunity, not just to make money, but also to shine the light of the gospel through honest dealings. And so it's not enough in seeking to obey the Eighth Commandment to stop stealing. The commandment also means we are to be stewards, that we are to seek opportunities to give. We are to be good stewards of what God has provided to us, of what God has really only loaned to us. R. Kent Hughes writes that, that every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. He says perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. Jeremy read this for us earlier from from Matthew 6, verses 19 to 34. That, that when, we, when we seek opportunities to give, we are not laying up treasures on earth where moth eats and rust destroys, where thieves break in and steal, but, but we are laying treasures for ourselves in heaven, eternal treasures. That we are actually seeking to make an investment in eternity. Because where a treasure is, again, there our heart will be also. Matthew 6, 21. And when you find yourself investing in eternity, then you're increasingly going to set your mind on eternity and the things of eternity. So the Eighth Commandment is not about just not being a thief, but it's instead about being a good steward of what God has given you. Now, maybe you're sitting here th this morning feeling guilty, realizing that, that, that you have sinned against God and, and against other people in, in stealing. Again, I have the privilege all week to, to be studying these things and, and to feel the, the conviction and the, have the opportunity to, to repent as I, as I study. Oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't really think about that before. Why do you think about that again? Maybe you're here this morning feeling guilty. Well, I would encourage you. In fact, I would, I would implore you, I, I would command you, in line with God's word, to repent. To turn from, from that sin, to turn from whatever sin it is that you're thinking of right now, whether it's the Eighth Commandment or, or any of the commandments. Repentance is a, a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. 
And, and part of that in that the, the person who's truly repentant will also involve making restitution. Even in my last trip to Ottawa a few years ago, I'd, I'd been reminded of, of this property that mainly that I damaged, but also that, that I had stolen from my youth, and I had, to, I had to seek to make restitution for those sins. And so I, I was seeking to, to deal with my sin on the horizontal level because God had done a work of repentance in my heart. But the most important part, again, of, of, of the Eighth Commandment, all the commandments, is the vertical. The, the worst part of our sin is always vertical. The worst part is always against God. And so if you're here this morning as, a, as an unbeliever, this is your opportunity, maybe, maybe the first time ever, to turn away from your sin and to say, Lord God, please forgive me. I have sinned against you in, in all of these ways. Please cover me with the blood of Christ. Please wash me clean for my sin. Let the righteousness of Christ, let all of his good works be applied to me. Let all of the obedience and all of the righteousness of Christ be credited to my account. And you might be here this morning doing that for the very first time. Maybe this morning might be the day that you are actually born again. But all of us need to continue to walk in this. We need to continue to repent. We need the, the, it's been said that, that Christians were, are, are repenters. They were continually repenting of our sin. We're, we're continually preaching the gospel to ourselves. We're continually confessing our sin to God, turning away from sin and trusting that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So wherever you are this morning, go. Go to the one who gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16 Go to the only one who never stole anything from anyone, but only ever gave to the one who gave everything, his treasure, his time, his talents, his thoughts, all of them, to others for the glory of God. Go to the one who gave even his very life. Go to the one who gave up his life on the cross for thieves like you and me. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die alone. There were two thieves next to Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. One of the thieves left this life to enter torment in a Christless eternity. The other turned away from his sin and put his faith in Jesus. And Jesus Christ promised with one of his last words, today you'll be with me in paradise. So that one thief is now with Christ 
in paradise and will be with Christ in paradise for all eternity. Which thief are you? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we praise you for the gospel. We praise you that though we are all guilty of breaking the eighth commandment and of breaking all of your commandments all the time, yet, Lord, our sin, even though it's great, your grace is greater. And so, Lord, we praise you for your amazing grace. And we pray that you would help us because of your grace poured out on us through Jesus Christ, that you would help us to walk in repentance and obedience. That you would help us, Lord, not just to stop stealing, but to be good stewards of all that you have given us for your glory and for the advance of your kingdom. Amen.